Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In 2007, Mitch McConnell became Senate Republican leader. And ever since, he's created this, like, mythic reputation as a ruthless tactician. If he didn't like a piece of legislation... He knew how to get rid of it. He even gave himself a nickname, the Grim Reaper. Then came Donald Trump, and McConnell grudgingly endorsed Trump in 2016. But over time, their shaky truce has frayed. So what are going to be the consequences of that for the rest of us? Well, we're going to talk about that with CNN's Manu Raju and Lauren Fox. They are congressional reporters, and Manu is also the host of Sunday's Inside Politics. Welcome to The Assignment. Hey, good morning. And Lauren Fox, how are you? Hi, thanks for having us. I knew this was going to be the best time to talk to you because from covering Congress, we know that Monday mornings, they're not there. Like, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. They this get is in the very best time late. to catch you guys. They basically fly in from wherever they've come from. They move super slow because I call Senate the world's oldest high school. And then you don't learn anything until Tuesday lunch. This is a little bit different, though, because they've been in session all weekend to move on this very deal that is put McConnell in hot water with this conference. And they actually are coming in to vote at noon. So it's actually okay. a little bit different than a Starting most school early. I like it. Getting up early. Let me give people the background on the deal. So basically, there's supposed to be funding for uh, the war in Ukraine, resources for the war in Ukraine. People also want to send more funding to Israel. And um, Biden, I guess, thought that he could bundle this together with also maybe, was it funding for Taiwan at yes. one point? It was going to be basically a democracy supporting, war supporting bill. And then there was a Republican demand that there would be no more money for any of this stuff unless Democrats funded an increase in border security and made some policy changes. And then they got their wish. And then it fell apart. Which of you two better knows how it fell apart? I think this bill fell apart almost from the beginning because the reality was House Republicans set up this process where they said, we probably aren't going to accept anything from the Senate unless it looks almost exactly like this hard right bill that we passed on immigration and yet, last spring. Sen- <laughs> Senator Mitch McConnell had gotten one of his guys to go in a room with them and negotiate. James Langford and Manu, what was he supposed to do? Was he ever really supposed to negotiate in good faith? Is that too cynical to ask? Uh, No, he did negotiate in good faith. I mean, they negotiated for nearly five months. I mean, they went around the clock. They negotiated over the Christmas holidays. They were trying to put together a pretty uh, hard-fought compromise. And the Republicans actually got significant concessions in this deal. The Democrats really didn't get a whole lot. The Democrats didn't get the things that they wanted, say, back in 2013 to deal with uh, the undocumented immigrants in the country. And back then in 2013, 
2013. They had uh, provisions to give a pathway to citizenship for uh, the 11 million people here illegally. That was not even part of these negotiations. This was all about changes to border policy to actually give the administration, give the United States more authority to require the United States to essentially turn away migrants in between ports of entry if crossings reach a certain threshold. That is much different than what Democrats were willing to give into, but they ultimately did because their big concession that they wanted was money for Ukraine. That is it. I mean, Mitch McConnell was a staunch advocate of giving money to Ukraine. He didn't really even want a big border deal. That was not his big uh, push. It was his conference's big push. Their demand of changes to border policy. Ultimately, he agreed with them and said, "Okay, let's cut a deal. Yeah. Did he sound a little bit defeated, right? Donald Trump comes out against this bill. Everyone starts talking about how basically it's like, Republicans don't want to hand Democrats any kind of legislative win, especially on immigration, in an election year. I think one thing people don't necessarily understand about McConnell, if you're not in the building every day, is his style, which is to let his conference have a robust debate, to let his conference kind of lead on a lot of these issues. And then he sort of takes in what they're saying and makes decisions based on that. So I think what you saw last week— But does he, like, week, bring down the hammer on them? Does he— That's like, not I'm his trying style. to compare him to a Pelosi or something. Like, that's really not his style. How does he actually get people to do what he wants? He usually is just in the same place as the conference. I think, honestly, that is typically how I've seen McConnell operate so successfully, is he doesn't make rash decisions typically— he knows where the conference is, and he makes decisions based on that intelligence that he's gathered. He talks to the members a lot. They have these closed-door lunches often. But one thing that I thought was fascinating about McConnell is that this play on immigration is really similar to the one I saw on gun control, where he basically picks a deputy who he knows has conservative credentials within the conference. And when he's serious about them reaching a potential bipartisan deal, he then gives his blessing. That's what he did with John Cornyn on guns. They were successful. This is what he was trying to do with James Lankford on immigration. And that didn't work out. Manu, why didn't it work out? Because not only didn't it work out, but you had Ted Cruz, Mike Lee at this press conference basically <laughs> taking shots at McConnell's leadership. Senator Cruz, is it time for Mitch McConnell to go? I think it is. A... Republican leaders should actually lead this conference and should advance the priorities of Republicans. Yeah, look, I mean, immigration is one of those issues that Washington has simply not been able to resolve in decades. I mean, we've seen efforts. Time but why and again. did they feel it was OK to take shots at him? Because this is, as you said, this kind of bill, an immigration bill, falls apart almost cyclically every few years. But they just took a chance to needle him. Look, this was this is a shift. I mean, th there's no question about it. I mean, in in years past, I've been covering you know Mitch McConnell for you know two decades now, and he is, and including his rise to become Republican leader, his power has long been keeping his conference united. That has been an increasingly difficult proposition, particularly in the last couple of years and certainly in the aftermath uh, of Donald Trump as they've tried to do some work with Joe Biden as Trump has ascended in the party. Once again, that has been uh, a change here. And the change, too, has been that there are a growing number, small but growing number of members within the conference who are not afraid to challenge him. That started at the end of the last midterms when the Republicans uh, were 
unsuccessful in taking back the Senate, despite everything indicating that they could take back the Senate. There was a lot of finger pointing that happened in the immediate aftermath of that. Then for the first time in McConnell's tenure as leader, remember, he's the longest serving party leader in the history of the United States in the mm. Senate. Uh, he, the first time ever, he was challenged for his spot by Senator Rick Scott. McConnell had far more votes than Scott. He became elected leader once again. But that was showed you that there was an uneasiness. There was, there was anger. There was opposition among some quarters within the Senate GOP to take on McConnell. You said he's he's the longest. Is he tied? Is he officially the longest? No, he's number one. Number one in either party, longest serving Senate leader either. And that is that is a significant accomplishment uh, and something that he wanted to get very, very badly. But he has that record now. But you're seeing, uh, which often happens towards the end of someone's tenure, that there is dissension within the ranks. Whoa, the you're thing- saying end of his tenure. We're going to get to that. I heard that. We're going to get to that in a minute. Sure. He is yet another leader in his 80s. We just interviewed one on this show, Jim Clyburn. People are talking about Biden. So he, you know, my long-running rant against the gerontocracy. This is another leader in their 80s. And when McConnell has health problems, like, they're super public. So he had a concussion last year and a broken rib, right, had an incident. He healed up. And then twice last summer on camera in front of reporters, he literally froze up stopped speaking like halfway through a sentence or didn't answer a question. And that sparked like a whole lot of chatter even about his cognitive abilities. Has his health made him more vulnerable to political challenge? I think definitely it has. And the reality is when you talk to some of these members who are openly calling for him to be challenged, one of the things that comes up is those health issues. You know, when I've talked to senators about this, They often will point out this miscalculation in their view on immigration, and then they'll pivot to last summer. And I think that that shows you they feel like this is a moment where the public might be paying attention and they do have an opportunity to be more vocal. Manu, are they smelling weakness? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of it. I mean, the day— Which is to not say that I think he's weak. I'm just saying that right now because I'm, like, afraid of him. Like, he'll pop out of a closet or something. <laughs> do, but I think yeah. That, it do, is there a political kind of sixth sense and people start to circle and get ideas? Yeah, and I'm not sure it's about his health as it is much about just where he is in his standing within the party right now. And you cannot discount what that means about him versus Donald Trump because it has so much to do with the fallout of him and Donald Trump and the fact that Trump has been bashing him for months on the campaign trail. This, of course, as you well know, Audie started right after January 6th. Mitch McConnell voted to acquit him in his second impeachment trial over January 6th, but then went to the floor and absolutely eviscerated Trump and called him morally and practically responsible for the attack on the Capitol. And that has led to a feud. The two have not spoken in more than three years. And the Trump wing of the party wants McConnell out. And there are members who are aligned with that wing of the party that are not afraid to speak out uh, in no small part because the leader of their party, Donald Trump, is the one who is uh, leading the charge against McConnell. So that has really put him in a difficult spot with some of those members. They don't represent a majority, but they are outspoken and they do have a a loud voice, a megaphone. That's Manu Raju and Lauren Fox. They cover Congress for CNN. We'll be back in a moment. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back talking about Mitch McConnell. So earlier I talked about this term, the Grim Reaper, and this is something that McConnell actually said in 2019 before a crowd, and he was referring to the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, and he says, so think of me as the Grim Reaper, the guy who's going to make sure that socialism doesn't land on the president's desk. This is kind of in line with how we think of him from the Obama years, which, Manu, you and I, I think that's when we met, like kind of running around on the Hill, basically trying to figure out what the Senate would say no to. It was like this futile, I mean, I thought it seemed futile. Manu, did you <laughs> think there was ever <laughs> the feudal, a pathway? Futile and the Senate go hand in hand. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you mentioned this beef between McConnell and Trump and that the roots of it are the Capitol riot. But how has he managed to withstand Trump, right? Like McCarthy went syncophant. He kind yeah. of was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to be this guy's best friend. I'm totally on board, et cetera. And then Mitt Romney's like openly hostile mm-hmm. and just, right, like the people who are just like, forget this whole thing. Yeah. I so mean, look, the, the how does evol- he manage the relationship? Yeah, the evolution between uh, of how McConnell and Trump is just a really window into the Republican Party writ large uh, in some ways. I mean, he didn't embrace him when he ran in 2016, ultimately endorsed him when he won the nomination, sidestepped any controversy uh, that Donald Trump made. Every time he opened his mouth while he was president, he was essential in getting uh, Donald Trump's key achievements through, helped him with usher through the massive tax cut package that really is uh, Trump's crowning legend legislative achievement, pushing through three Supreme Court nominees. You cannot discount that is McConnell's role in all of that. Right. And just to underscore that and pause, I feel like we should do that every once in a while. These are things that kind of fundamentally changed American life. Yeah. And not just the Supreme Court, all the lower courts as well. That was a key priority for Trump. And that but be- even our lives as people. Yeah, <laughs> like it's these are legislate like whether it's the tax thing or Roe v. Wade. McConnell quickly and early on realized in his career that the judicial branch was a powerful tool for ensuring that you got what you wanted when it came to legislation, because legislation gets challenged and it has to go through the courts. And he very quickly and early on seized on that. 
And, and he has said that one of his number one achievements while being Republican leader was keeping the Supreme Court seat vacant after uh, Antonin Scalia died and preventing Barack Obama from filling the seat with Merrick Garland. In some ways, that may have helped Donald Trump win the presidency, energizing the conservative movement in a lot of ways to ensure that and he, he still get conservative on, on the it. bench. Absolutely. So that is and that had a humongous impact on the direction of the country. So you can't discount that about everything that he did. But the date that the Electoral College certification happened in mid-December, that's when McConnell went to the Senate floor and said Joe Biden was the victor here. And that caused Donald Trump to lose his mind, go crazy. He was furious about McConnell. And they have not spoken since that moment, since the day before McConnell made that speech on the floor and told him, I'm going to the floor to say that Joe Biden won the election. And Donald Trump would not have it. And as we know uh, what happened in the aftermath of all of that, of course. I want to know how this affects the races in November from a slightly different perspective, which is what does it mean for our choices as voters? Who are the Republicans we're going to see out in the world, right? Because they kind of represent these different poles of the party. I know you guys were reporting that basically like the eight House Republicans who voted to oust Speaker McCarthy they're losing a lot of money, right? Like, they're not fundraising the same way. All those things that McCarthy did for them, they don't have that now. So there's been, like, an effect. When it comes to McConnell, though, what's the difference if you're a McConnell candidate versus a Trump candidate? Well, McConnell's extremely powerful. I mean, the Senate Leadership Fund has a reputation of being extremely impactful in Senate races across the country. So does that just mean you raise a lot of money or that you have an infrastructure of volunteers and workers? It means that you have an influx of money coming into your race, and that matters, right? And I, I do think that McConnell also has been extremely influential in picking candidates. That mm-hmm. has been something that he has really prioritized in part because He knows that these guys come to the United States Senate and then he has to lead them there. Right. And he also wants to make sure he gets the majority back. So I I see what you're saying. There have been some Trump-backed candidates that have lost. Exactly. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that last week, despite all of the chaos that was happening in the Senate, despite all of the pushback he was getting, at the end of the week, the announcement was— Larry Hogan is running for Senate. And suddenly this race that Democrats probably had in the bag is extremely competitive. But once you, but, but but a lot of these candidates, they will accept the money that's coming from Mitch McConnell's super PAC, the Senate Leadership Fund that spends an enormous amount of money in Senate races. It will be the biggest player in Senate races by far on the Republican side. They will accept his that financial backing, and then they'll bash him publicly because politically that is good for them, especially with their base. I mean, look at just J.D. Vance, for instance. He won the Ohio Senate race last cycle, a difficult race. He was not running a particularly great campaign. McConnell's Silver PAC came in and just spent an absolute enormous sum of money, and that has consequences, deciding to spend money to help J.D. Vance, pulling back money from other states instead Vance got over the finish line. And here's Vance now in the Senate on the opposite sides of McConnell on so many issues and joining some of these Senate Republicans and criticizing the Republican leader. Uh, it just shows you kind of and where the party that, is. And not just that, didn't he also say he wouldn't certify 
the election, like if he was Trump's running mate. Yeah, I mean that was a whole different story about no, but that's trying to position himself, right? Because yeah. it's like coming from you were backed by McConnell, who was like this was bad, but it doesn't like there's there's a changing of the guard here that I don't know how to process because I can't yeah. tell how much control McConnell still has. Yeah, and if you want in the party, hey, look, and if you want to dive deeper into the JD Vance being in a window of all of it, he replaced Senator Rob Portman, who was one of the biggest backers of Ukraine uh, in the Capitol, who cut the infrastructure deal that is that McConnell supported, that is one of Joe Biden's crowning achievements that Donald Trump has opposed, that JD Vance opposes. So you know you're seeing just a shift within the party and it being more aligned with with Donald Trump, which explains why, in a lot of ways, Mitch McConnell is slowly on the outs within some elements of his conference. I was always told as a baby reporter that the Senate was where things cooled, the tea cooled, right? And cooler heads would prevail there because they didn't have to run every two years, so they weren't like little mice trying to, like, get little crumbs everywhere like the House because they're constantly having— Manu, don't laugh. You know what I mean. <laughs> like, house, I, it, just, it just reminded me of House Mouse, Senate Mouse, which I read to my kids, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're, we're going to put the link to that in the episode notes. That sounds amazing. Um, but, yeah, so the House is like, ah, I have to raise money. I have to be in commercials. I have to do all the things because in 18 months I have to do this all over again. And the Senate guys were all tall and uh, <laughs> and the ladies were really strong and they were a little more chill because they had a few years and they had a kind of buffer. But more and more people are saying that the Senate is turning into the House and that that is kind of a big problem because it means what? Well, senators are getting frustrated a bit because what they feel like is happening. I had this conversation with Senator Kevin Kramer on Friday night, actually, when the Senate was voting late. And he made this point of it's really frustrating when it feels like there are people out there who are riling up the base and getting people upset over Ukraine aid and also are the same people who might privately understand the importance of it, right? All of these senators are getting briefings. All of these senators know what is at stake. But at the same time, it feels like for some of these members, this is a critical moment in history, and yet it's becoming such a political issue because of Donald Trump's influence right. that you have almost – it feels like no choice. And Mitt Romney said the same thing, right, Manu? This sort of – he was constantly outing people like in his book of like there's a front-facing guy and then there's what they tell us. There's what they're telling the base and then there's what they tell us in private and that there are some people – more and more people are getting kind of frustrated with dealing with that, with those yeah. two faces. Yeah, I mean, look, that's really the story of the Trump era, right? I mean, there's so many Republicans who will say something privately about Trump and say that we don't want anything to do with him and he is bad for our party, bad for uh, the country, but will publicly support him. So, like, like that's just, just the way it is. And it's, you know, it is nothing other than to do than the fact that it's the easier thing to do to go along with the party, go along with the leader of the party, especially one who is not afraid to attack you publicly in very personal terms and make your life uh, very complicated with it from within your own party, within your own base. Go along with it. Just, you know, swallow your pride, if you will, and do that. And there are not an insignificant number of Senate Republicans in particular who feel that way. An interesting illustration of this to some extent is last week, obviously, Cruz was out bashing McConnell very publicly. And this details in Manu and I's story. There was this interaction 
on Thursday between McConnell and Cruz on the Senate floor. And it lasted a couple of minutes, and you saw McConnell sort of with his typical hands together, nodding occasionally with the smile that was sort of peeking out every once in a while. And I really wanted to know what that conversation was about. And a source told me that it was actually Cruz trying to mend fences a bit with McConnell. Now, McConnell and Cruz's offices declined to comment on the specificity of their conversation. Uh, Cruz's office saying that the conversations that he has with senators are private. But I do think that that shows you sort of a little bit of that tension. Yeah. Also, that's not saying that's not true. Exactly. Just in reporter speak, right? Like, there's different kinds of denials. And just to add, just getting back to the McConnell political aspect of it, Ted Cruz may be the one of two Senate Republicans who have who might be vulnerable this year. You know, Texas is a hard state for Democrats to pick up, but. Maybe he might need Mitch McConnell's support and his super PAC to save the day if things get a little hairy for him later this year. More than Trump? Well, Cruz may need McConnell's financial backing, which is what is going to be could be reason why he's saying, you know, maybe uh, those things I said publicly, (laughs) maybe maybe you should look back. What I meant to say. What happened was that's what we witnessed on the Senate floor. Yeah. Um, All right. So. Do either of you believe Mitch McConnell is still going to be leading the Senate Republicans in 2025? I just never count Mitch McConnell out. I think it would be very hard to imagine him leading the Republicans by that time, especially if Trump is president. But I don't know. Manu, would you count Mitch McConnell out? Uh, I would never count him out, but I really have a hard time seeing him being leader, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It just this feels like the right time for him to step aside, given all the dynamics we've been discussing here and we've been reporting about the challenges in the party, the changing nature of his party, his health issues. And, you know, I don't think he wants to be like some of these aging senators who are known for their health uh, issues more than what they've done legislatively. And it, to me, it feels like the time for him that he recognizes that his political antenna is uh, sharp enough that he knows it's time for him to step aside. Now, again, I could be totally wrong. You know, Lauren is right. You don't count him out. And if you, they take back the majority, which is their favorite to do, maybe he'll be like, I want to give it another go. But the betting would probably be on him stepping aside. I do think it'll be interesting. We talk about this a lot. I think this is one of the favorite parlor games of Senate reporters, which is who succeeds him. Which is when you're just standing him. around the hallway. Exactly. Yeah. Who succeeds him. <laughs> and, you know, you have seen with this incident over Ukraine aid that Cornyn and Thune are probably more in the same mold as yeah. McConnell and when it comes to this, this issue. For you. So that's John Cornyn of Texas and John Thune of South, South Dakota. Dakota, not North Dakota. There's also John Barrasso, which tells you how many men are in the Senate that these guys are called the Johns. <laughs> the three Johns. <laughs> the three Johns. But they're all kind of came up under him and have his same point of view, arguably, meaning we care about foreign aid. We think that it is not necessarily always a bad thing. But Barrasso actually has been voting against this package. So as we it's can moved feel it changing. Yeah. But then the flip side is, could there be one of these new leaders from what we would call the MAGA set, right? Whether that be Maybe what Mike Lee, Manu? Who else? Who uh, is yeah, there? Yeah, I just it, there's really no one in that wing that would have the votes to become 
leader. I mean, oh, you, so you know, just told me this is not the house. This is not going to be. I mean, and it's not, still not the house. Yes, I think there are some aspects of it that may you could compare it to the way the House GOP is. But you know, the, the senators are still. This is a relationship business, and at the end of the day, those some of those members in the MAGA wing, they don't really have the deepest relationships. Mike Lee doesn't have the deepest relationships. Ted Cruz doesn't have either. Neither does Rick Scott uh, among among members. The three Johns that we've been talking about are widely seen as the likely successors. But Rasso has uh, lined up with Trump more than the rest. He does have his own re-election this year, and perhaps one reason why he has chosen to go that route, not to get knocked off in a Republican primary in Wyoming. Uh, but Thune has so many more apprehensions with Trump. He doesn't even won't even endorse him yet. Cornyn just endorsed Trump. He has been concerned about Trump's electability in a general election. But the relationships thing, I think, is important that you're underscoring, because over in the House, Speaker Johnson, in a way, is suffering because he's never actually had to put together enough votes for a piece of legislation. Right. There's no yeah. real relationships. Yeah. I mean, he's very, aren't working. he's very new. It's one thing to be a rank and file member or. But not just new, like didn't even have the resume. The resume is not one of master fundraiser, master legislator. 100 percent. So there is a skill to being the leader of your party. And there's a reason it takes people so long to achieve it, because you have to build those relationships. I do think we, Manu and I've talked about this a lot. We're just seeing this really interesting moment for McConnell where he's always been in the most politically convenient place. And on this issue— Because his beliefs align with it. I won't cast judgment on why he's in a certain political place, but on this issue of Ukraine, he believes that this aid is essential for the U.S.'s national security, for the security of Europe. And he's willing to put a lot on the line to— spend a lot of political capital on something that I think watching it, it's almost a little bit surprising in this moment. Well, Manu and Lauren, thank you guys so much for uh, dishing with me during the five minutes of slow time in your week. (laughs) It was so fun. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Loved it. That was Lauren Fox and Manu Raju. Both of them cover Congress for CNN. And Manu is the host of Inside Politics Sunday on CNN. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Dan Bloom. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. We got support from Haley Thomas, Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lenny Steinhardt, Jameis Andrus, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namorow. Thanks, as always, to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish. Thank you for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.